Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is astrologer Maidlin Kelly, who joined me to talk about the fundamental concepts of this ancient practice. For thousands of years, cultures across the world have developed complex systems for understanding and predicting earthly matters using observations of the night sky. For most of that time, it was a respected academic pursuit alongside astronomy and meteorology, and an astrologer would be an important person in their community. In modern times, however, Mainstream society often depicts astrology as nothing more than a pseudoscience. However, if you take the time to understand its core concepts and get past the idea that it is nothing more than your daily horoscope, there is a fascinating tradition ready to explore that can also help you make sense of a whole range of other esoteric ideas and areas of study. I only really know the basics, which is why I wanted to do an episode like this. I heard about Maidlin's work via the Hellier documentary series, where they helped the team by offering an astrological insight into the investigations. So I was delighted when they agreed to be a guest, and we had a really interesting chat. Enjoy! Maidlin, welcome to the podcast. Hello! To begin with, just tell us a little bit about uh, your own interest in astrology and how that got started. And how you got to grips with the key concepts. All right. Well, let's see. It all starts with astronomy, actually. When I was really little, I was always obsessed with space. Like one of my earliest memories is uh, laying in my crib and looking out the window at the night sky and thinking of the word star. And then I remember like in preschool, one of the teachers showed us a poster of all the planets in the solar system. And I was like, oh, my God, this is captivating. But like no one else seemed all of that interested, which I was really confused by. So like years go down the line, I go through all of the astronomy books in the kids section and quickly move on to the adult section in the bookstores. And I eventually end up going to an astronomy club. So for the first like half of my life, I wasn't really exposed to astrology at all. Because like at the astronomy club, if someone were to ask one of them, hey, tell me about my star sign, they would just be like, ah, because <laughs> like astronomers don't really like astrology all that much. But it's funny because the two used to be basically the same in the beginning. So how I got to astrology was kind of like I got to it from eventually becoming interested in like magic and occultism and things like that. So I remember this one time I was at this bookstore and I was just looking at the witchcraft section and there was this lady next to me browsing the astrology books and then someone behind us looking at the books on the other side. And all of a sudden the lady next to me is like, who really believes that the stars control our whole lives? And then on cue, the other lady turns and was like, it's true, they absolutely do. And I was just like stunned by the sudden interaction happening and I didn't like say anything they both looked at me and I looked at them and then that was kind of it but I remember thinking to myself I was like 16 17 I was like this is probably going to be one of those pivotal moments in my life isn't it and like eventually I did start getting into astrology because like in magic it's everywhere like absolutely everywhere and I always thought it was kind of weird how there was quite a disconnect between like 
magicians and occultists and astrologers. There wasn't a whole lot of blending back when I started getting into it. But what really changed it, uh, my interest was meeting my birth mother, actually, when I was 20, because that meant I knew what time I was born. And one of my buddies was like, oh my gosh, I have to look at your chart now. So he put it into astro.com and then started just like telling me all of these different things about my chart. And I was like overwhelmed with it because I didn't really think there was anything to astrology. I had only really been familiar with like newspaper horoscopes and whatnot. But then suddenly uh, I'm seeing, you know, the circle chart with all these numbers and lines. And I'm like, oh my God, what is all this stuff? <laughs> so um, that was my first like proper introduction to it. So I was like, well, this is clearly a lot more complicated than I thought, so maybe there is something to this. So I just started like taking notes on things like about the moon for spell work and things like that, and then, you know, finding more and more books. And uh, it just kind of like started, my interest started growing exponentially after a while. The first few years were pretty slow because I didn't like have any teacher. I didn't know anyone else really in my life except for that one person who was interested in astrology. So it was a whole new world. But then um, after several years of just kind of like, you know, taking notes and observing my own stuff um and going through all sorts of astrology books i started like seeking out classes from astrologers and that's when everything started to come together a lot better uh i made a lot more progress in my learning once i found like actual teachers because there's just so so much to the subject um and like i only practice like western astrology with the tropical zodiac and there's like there's Vedic astrology, Chinese astrology, there's like the sidereal zodiac that you can use. There are so many things <laughs> to learn. So trying to teach yourself alone doesn't really work all that well. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely understand that. And I know what you mean about the chart. I created my chart in, in astro.com as well. And it's, it's really interesting, but there's, there's so much information packed into that diagram. Yeah. How did you find it understanding the key concepts and can we just go through some of them to sort of outline the the most important factors within astrology when it comes to understanding the relationships between these ideas yeah so the chart that you're gonna look at for your natal chart for anyone is usually just gonna look like a circle cut into 12 parts and those parts are going to be the signs of the zodiac and the houses and then you also have the planets so the planets and their relationships the aspects are kind of the heart of the chart so the planets are kind of like a map of the psyche there's the moon the nurturing instinct there's uh, mercury which is like communication and dexterity and every planet has a particular role to play in the psyche of an individual you can also use astrology for like countries and events and then the planets have their own meanings for mundane astrology and things like that but for natal astrology it's all like functions in the individual's own psyche and the houses is basically the areas of life that the mind observes like more external whereas the planets and signs are much more internal so 
yeah, to break it down, you got the planets, signs, houses, and aspects, and those are like the core things going on in the chart. So you have your sun in one sign, but your moon is also in another, and and so on and so forth. Right. Okay. And the the zodiac begins with Aries and ends with Pisces, but it's not. It doesn't sort of follow the calendar year. Aries begins around March and. And Pisces obviously will end close to that time. Why do we begin with Aries? Well, the tropical zodiac, um, it's based on the seasons, basically. So when uh, during the vernal equinox, when night and day are equal, that's basically um, the beginning of Aries, zero mm-hmm. degrees Aries. Um, the sidereal zodiac is based on the constellations and a little bit more aligned up to that and then the constellations themselves are different because like virgo is a much bigger constellation than cancer so they would be it's it wouldn't be as even and with the tropical zodiac it kind of gets rid of the problem of procession of the equinoxes so that's the difference in the the different zodiacs. So the tropical zodiac is what most Western astrologers are using because it's just based off of the seasons. I suppose one thing that's true is that most people, even people who are probably don't think much about astrology, will know their star sign and they're familiar with horoscopes. How helpful are horoscopes when it comes to being an insight into astrology itself? Um, the sun sign stuff that you see in newspapers is not really helpful at all because like the, the sun sign stuff in newspapers is pretty much like saying the only thing to math is addition. There's just so much more to it. So like, um, the sun is only, it is one of the most important things in the horoscope, but it's only one part. So you can have your sun in Aries, for example, but is it in the first house, the eighth house? Is it conjunct Neptune? Is it like square to Saturn? All of these things are going to give you a totally different feel than just your regular old sun in Aries. And it's impossible to get all of that nuance in a tiny little newspaper column. Right. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. And that's most people's uh, awareness of astrology is like just that. So it makes perfect sense why people are like, oh, astrology doesn't mean anything. It's useless because like, I mean, like, I don't blame them. That's what I thought astrology was for a long time. It was just like this random little blurb in the newspaper. So, <laughs> No, of course, because I mean, trying to explain anything complicated in a paragraph is relatively, I would say, almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. So going back to what you were saying before, I just want to talk a little bit more about the planets, if that's okay. Yeah. And how they operate within astrology. Sure. The planets are basically like psychological functions um, that represent like a pretty sophisticated map of the mind. So there's the sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. Traditionally is what was used up to Saturn because we only could see Saturn, we couldn't see, like Uranus, Neptune, Pluto back in the day. for So for thousands of years, that's all they used. But then they found Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And modern some modern astrologers will say that like Uranus rules Aquarius and whatnot. Um, so they're much more like society-oriented. So basically, um, 
one way we figured out and observed like what the planets mean for us has a lot to do with like what they're actually doing in the sky so mercury the moon they're traveling much faster than like jupiter and saturn so the faster the planet the more like uh around about the personality that becomes so jupiter and saturn since jupiter takes 12 years to go around the sun and saturn about 30 they are gonna have a lot more to do with like societal things and longer term cycles and that's especially the case with like neptune and pluto since they take uh what was it like 165 and 248 years Mm -hmm. so it kind of like zooms out from there you got the the sun which is like your core essence and then mercury is like more of your personality stuff and then the outer planets is going to have more to do with like how you relate to generational things and societal things all right okay um it's interesting that you talk about how the discovery of new planets added to astrology. I was just I was just wondering about that. How does something like that happen? How does astrology evolve when new discoveries are made in in our solar system, for example? Yeah, well, I guess it just evolves as, you know, people in societies evolve. So like Uranus um is often related to technology and often the internet and things like that and back in like 400 bc we didn't have those things so Mm. that's why um, a lot of astrologers will kind of like look at what is going on in the world when these planets are discovered and then like kind of piece it together from there Mm. and Nowadays, astrology seems like something that is often practiced, you know, by individuals um, on a personal level for, for personal insight. Um, but going back in time, was astrology something that was practiced by not by everybody, by a few people who had the time to practice this craft? Was it was it something that was more of a profession? I mean, I, I know now that we have obviously we have professional astrologers, but but was it more organized in the past, would you, would you say? In the beginnings, it was used mostly for like kings and rulers, and it was only a few people in charge who knew how to do this. So before you could be an astrologer back in the day, you had to be a really good mathematician. Hmm. And the mathematicians were also often in charge of things like engineering and all these really important things in society. So astrology astronomy mathematics they were all very very connected and you had to like be really good at math to do it because you didn't have computers to calculate things so back in the day astrology was used mostly to like scan for celestial omens for the kings and whatnot so like the sun was usually representing the king back in the day so eclipses were like a terrible omen for the king and that's the sort of thing that they would really concern themselves with and around i think the fourth century is when astrology started going from just concerning itself with rulers to more like middle class people and you could get your chart done if you were like you know an average person as opposed to someone in charge hmm at the same time, they absolutely knew that a, 
that what caused an eclipse, didn't they? It was just the phenomenon of the eclipse rather than what was happening to those bodies. Yeah. Um, also, in the beginnings of astrology, they saw the planets as being like the gods themselves. Mm. So there was also that aspect to it. That's interesting. I suppose that's what I'm trying to get at is, um, is now, like in astrology, we're able to see the the planets themselves what they physically are more clearly and from you know what i'm trying to do is is get an idea of how the position of these bodies can affect a person it seems that they do have a it's partly physical but it's also metaphysical is is that correct there seems to be a nifty blend so with venus for example it's related to the golden mean because um venus and the earth do this particular dance around the sun with uh, venus's retrograde cycle and it basically will form a five-pointed star around the sun every eight years and um the time venus takes to go around the sun is 1.6 years and that's also related to the golden mean so back in the day ancient astrologers were very aware of that and they kind of noticed that, um, you know, the golden ratio relating to, like, beauty and the formation of everything. So Venus was attributed to, like, you know, uh, aside from just, like, beauty and things looking pretty, but also, like, things physically, you know, manifesting on the earth. Mm, okay. And, and I know from what you were saying earlier, also that each sign will have a, a planet that rules it how is that arranged in astrology why why do certain planets rule certain signs well um basically some signs and planets will like work better so like the moon wants to nurture and the sign of cancer where it rules can you know help it do that more comfortably but whereas Capricorn, which is ruled by Saturn, is much more like pragmatic and practical and do the thing, get the thing done. And the moon just wants to like feel good. So that's why the moon in Capricorn is said to like not be as cozy as it would in Cancer. So that's basically what rulership means. Okay. And I suppose a classic example of one of the most famous concepts in astrology that I know of is Mercury, Mercury in retrograde, which is like a bad time to start any any project, as I understand it anyway. Don't try any projects in this period of time. Can we just talk a little bit about that as well and why that is as an example of the activity of a, of a planet in astrology? Yeah. So Mercury retrograde is not the scary thing that a lot of people will <laughs> make it seem to be. It's just like... It's like a buzzword. It's because um, people are going from, you know, only knowing about sun sign stuff to now, uh, you know, uh, retrograde cycles. So in a sense, that's kind of exciting because people are learning more and more about astrology. But I like to think about the Mercury retrograde cycle as like breath. So it goes forward and backward. We breathe in and out. We can't just only be breathing in and we can't only just be breathing out. So when mercury is going around from our perspective when our planet passes it in the sky it'll make mercury look like it's going backwards and that's something that 
um, you can see with with other planets too. We'll go backwards. Um, so it's attributed to times of like redoing something or instead of like moving forward, taking a pause to like make sure everything is good kind of deal. You can't always be moving forward in life. Sometimes you have to like stop and do things over or like repeat something. So that's basically what uh what mercury retrograde is about it also can be attributed to like a more internal processing of things too just kind of like sitting quietly and thinking about stuff instead of like going out and doing the stuff right i imagine the more you learn about astrology do you find that you have to be careful not to have your (laughs) entire life controlled by these concepts how do you maintain a sense of agency when you're engaging with a system which seems to establish that there's quite a lot of things that are going on in your life that seem to be controlled by these bodies in the sky and and your place within this system? Yeah. Well, the way I look at it is we're not doomed by the planets or the stars or anything. Um, they are said to impel more than compel. And what I really like about astrology is that everyone has a place in it. Like we all have the same planets and the same signs. They're just in different combinations, but everything is represented And it's really up to us to decide what we want to do with all of the, you know, the toolkit that is our birth chart. So, like, if you've got moon square to Mars, it doesn't mean you're going to be doomed to be a mean person forever sort of thing. Like, there are totally some some things online that will have you believe, oh, you have Venus square Saturn, you don't have feelings, ah, No, that's too fatalistic. Astrology is all about, like, uh, expanding your self-awareness and, like, seeing how you do fit perfectly fine into the universe just like everyone else and giving you agency to be able to make decisions based off of uh, what Chani Nicholas calls radical self-acceptance, which is accepting yourself completely for who you are. And astrology is a really good tool to help you do that. So it's not something that is meant to like doom you to any particular fate. It's supposed to help you uh, give you more perspective and more options. Right. Yeah. Like so a I think context, I suppose. I think that's kind of why astrology started getting like. Uh, banned and criminalized and demonized is because the church doesn't want to hear that you are doomed to not be able to choose God sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I I see what you're saying. It feels like it's giving you a sense of context and having a... Yeah. And especially if you're seeking a deeper understanding of reality, it's, it's helping you do that. But it's not sort of describing everything. Yeah. All context and nuance. Um, going back to the chart, um, earlier on, you talked about houses. Can we just talk about that aspect of the chart a little bit more? Because it's something that I'm, I'm trying to get my head around. I mean, most of it I'm trying to, <laughs> still trying to get my head around, but the houses especially, because I, I've heard people on other podcasts when they 
talk about Astrology, you mentioned it, mentioned houses and, and I kind of, I just want to kind of drill down a little bit and, and get an idea of what they represent. Yeah. So we get houses from the rotation of the earth on its axis. So like night and day, the ascendant is basically the horizon, the Eastern horizon where everything starts to rise and then you have what's opposite that, the descendant, where things are setting. And then the other two important angles are going to be the MC, which basically just the middle of the sky, where everything is at the, at the middle of the day. And then the point directly opposite that underground, which is the IC. And then the rest of the houses are basically just divided from there. There are lots of different house systems. I use whole sign, which is much easier. There's a really nifty symmetry to it. So basically, if Aries was on the ascendant, was rising when you were born, that is your first house. And then the next sign is your second house and so on and so forth. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because I know that that's one thing that the, the houses themselves aren't set the same for everybody. It seems like astrology is a combination of, there's a lot of commonalities in terms of the things that are within a chart, but how they're organized is very different and specific to each individual person. Yeah, there are many lineages to astrological knowledge. Hmm. So it can be kind of dizzying when you're a beginner and you see that there's like 30 different house systems. Well, which one do you use? So, no, no, definitely, yeah, that's what I, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, whole sign house system is used in Hellenistic astrology, so it works really well with the context of that particular tradition. But there are, you know, modern psychological astrologers who may use Campanus or Coke or Placidus, but I don't use those, so I can't really speak too much on those. Mm, and, and so, going from one to twelve. What does that order represent and how they're ordered? It's basically um, showing the progression of going from the self and a process of self-development and then acclimation to society and that whole journey going from self to other to community in greater world. So the mm. first house is all about like your body and mind and your the personality that you portray when you go off out into the world and you like talk to people, it's kind of like your filter. And then the second house is basically like your stuff, your resources. It could also be your diet. And then it kind of goes uh, further out from there. So the third house, you've got your yourself your stuff and now it's your immediate environment like where you go and your your daily shops or even like the the magazines that you read on a daily basis and so on and so forth and then you get to the fourth house which is your home and your ancestry fifth house is going towards like children and creative special interests sixth house has to do with your like service and work Seventh house is the other, so it's the house exactly opposite the ascendant, the first house, so it's the self-other interaction in general. So seventh house is going to have to do with your like partners, your boss, any sort of one-on-one interaction. And then 
going on from there, the eighth house is the partner's stuff and resources. So it has a lot to do with like debts and things like that. Uh, moving on to the ninth house, you got your uh, the higher mind, travel, spirituality. Tenth house is like your reputation and what you have to offer to the world. Eleventh house of friends. And then finally you have the twelfth house of self-undoing, <laughs> which is the scary one. People, right. there's not a lot of like happy things to read about the twelfth house, but it's not a scary thing. It's just like you've you've gone out in the world you went to all the parties and stuff and now you're done you're going home time to be alone to Hmm. just like sit with all of the experiences and not really like be outward and interacting with the world so it's kind of like where everything goes back to the beginning Hmm. so once you know the order of your houses and how they're aligned from your birth chart then once you understand the, the other aspects of astrology you can take them on another particular day and measure them against those houses. Am I, is that correct? Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> transits. Mm-hmm. Cool. I know that astrology isn't just used for personal insight. You can, or it's also used to understand what might be happening on a larger scale. And 2020 has been quite a year to say the very least. Oh yeah. <laughs> As an astrologer, did you pick up on what might be along the road uh, earlier in the year in, in terms of the things that have been happening? Is is that something that you do with your practice? I do like to peek ahead. Um, astrologers have been talking about 2020 for a long time because this is a hell of a year astrologically. We have the Pluto return for the US, so... Pluto is in the exact same spot as it was 4th of July, 1776. So that is a huge thing. And that's only one thing that's going on. We also have Jupiter, Saturn. So they meet every 20 years. But when they meet, they're going to be meeting in the same element for about 200 years. And we're going from them meeting in uh, Earth to air signs. So that's called the Great Mutation, which is kind of a weird word to call it i think but so we're starting like a new 200 year cycle in air so that is a whole other thing too and on top of the us's pluto return these are some really juicy happenings <laughs> wow yeah so and i don't think there's a couple of astrologers who have noticed certain configurations relating to like uh pandemics but it's a lot of the specific things that are happening no one could really have like guessed or predicted all that much we just knew that it was going to be like a huge year right okay and is it slightly different to looking at the astrology for something like a country to doing it for a person what what sort of adjustments do you need to make when you when you take it to a grander scale and i mean i imagine the the nuts and bolts the concepts we've been talking about the planets the houses the science everything those are still having the effect that they would on a person but how do you how do you apply that to something a little more abstract? Um well for mundane astrology the planets are going to have uh just slightly different meanings that are going to be similar to natal astrology. I'm not a mundane astrologer so I can't go too much into the specifics. I do find it 
interesting, but I'm not an expert on mundane astrology. So like the boon, I believe, is going to be representing like the people of the country as opposed to like on the individual level. It's like the personal nurturing and whatnot. So there are techniques and rules. Right. Okay. Hmm. Understood. (laughs) So, yeah. One thing I wanted to talk to you about, actually, is that I know that you provided some insight to the people who uh, created the documentary series Pelia. Yeah. Which was really interesting. I, I mean, I, I love that series. I think it's great. Can you, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about the, the insight you provided to their investigation? Because I found that really interesting, in fact. It, it wasn't something I, I thought of when it came to the type of investigation that they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. So basically how that started, um, I had seen the first season and felt very just like completely captivated by it. So Mm. I started just like live tweeting, watching it. And then I saw they put on like a a time date location combination. So being an astrologer, I was like, ah, let's pull up a chart and see what it's like. And Mm -hmm. I started kind of like looking at all the the little details of it because you can uh it's really interesting to see what archetypes are active for particular events that may happen and um eventually greg asked me if i would look at three uh times for him he didn't give me any information on like what i was looking at at all he just gave me the time date location for three different events and i guess he just wanted to see if i saw any anything interesting so i looked at the three charts and i noticed that there were a number of similarities like i think two of the three had the same uh houses all aligned up so like they were all what was it all cancer rising i can't remember offhand um so i i wrote up like a a page long thing of all of my findings and I sent it to him and he was like wow that's great and uh, I didn't really like know how it was going to fit into what they were doing because they were pretty tight-lipped about all of the investigating that they were doing while season two was being filmed so I didn't really know anything at all until I like watched season two and saw it there so that was a really interesting experience Mm, and so what insight does astrology provide in terms of the investigation itself would would you say when it when it comes to some of the the weirdness that was apparent in in the investigation that that formed the Heliof series yeah basically like it can give some really interesting context for the planetary cycles and the archetypes that are like most apparent at the time so, like, if there's a lot of things in Scorpio, there's going to be a lot of, like, penetrating really deep into the heart of an issue sort of deal. Whereas if there's, like, a lot of Sagittarius, maybe there is a lighter feel and much more of an adventurous feel to it. Hmm. And that's kind of basically what I was looking at. Right. Okay. No, it's just, it's, like I said, it was it was really interesting to to see that they were using astrology or, you know, to to help them in their investigation and and tarot as well i that was something that i hadn't really thought of in terms of of helping but it's you got to use all the resources available to you haven't you (laughs) 
Yeah, I thought that was that was one of the things that really uh, caught my attention about Hellier Two was uh, Dana's use of tarot because it it seemed to fit so well, but I had never really seen that used. I mean, I wasn't too involved with the paranormal world in general before this, but I definitely don't have any memories of seeing tarot or astrology used on like a ghost hunting show or like a a show about aliens or anything. But I remember in season one of Hellier, Greg was talking about how all of these things, everything seems to be connected in a nifty way. And when I started looking at the astrology, I started to see hints of that same thing. So I just dove in and started exploring to see what I could find. Hmm. Now I'm intrigued to put some other key dates in in weird history <laughs> into a chart and see what happens, especially something like Roswell. I wonder what <laughs> what that chart looks like. It is really fun to do. I I do have it um, in my phone and on my computer. Um, I do intend to put more articles up on my site about different things in history because there's a <laughs> there's a lot of interesting things. <laughs> right. No, I can imagine. <laughs> so, like, 2020 is a really good example. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I, I completely understand going down a, a weird rabbit hole, especially the the feeling that you've made a breakthrough in some sort of understanding of weirdness, and then it turns out you haven't. You just <laughs> almost feel like yeah. you're back to square one, but with a bit more understanding of what you're trying to work out. Yeah, so the way I kind of see it is astronomy is like the objective, rational mind observing the universe, and then astrology is more of like the internal human experience, like specifically the human experience of consciousness and life, so it's much more internal, and I think they both complement each other because... Sure, you can study like the math and the orbital mechanics, but you are always going to be studying that through the perspective of being a human person. So I think that is where astrology can help because it can give you greater perspective of how you think about things. And I think it also is kind of it kind of works in the way that dreams do. So we have our waking life objective everyday reality and then when we are asleep, we have much more like limitless access to things. And there's been tons of scientists who have like won Nobel Prizes based off of insights that they've gotten from their dreams. And I think astrology can work in a very similar way. I think it can like be like the right brain to the left brain kind of thing. Or is it the other way around? I keep forgetting which one's which. <laughs> yeah, I, I get confused with those two as well. I should know it really. <laughs> <laughs> so. With astrology, it seems like the the planets exist somewhere between being what we understand them to be in a rational sense, these physical bodies that are part of the solar system. And they also have a an essence to them that's almost like a like a being, an entity. And with that in mind, I'm I'm interested to get your viewpoint on UFOs. Because I feel like Especially if planets are beings. Let's just take it there. And our solar system is full of these beings, essentially, that all interact with one another. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, do you think that that might, be, that might explain some of the, the, like the well-known UFO phenomena that have been reported over the years? I'm not 
Sure. Because one thing I'm trying to figure out is that, like, if everything is a part of the same universe, does that also include aliens? Like, if we are all extensions of the same unified greater consciousness, are aliens part of that too? Or not? Because if they are, then you can, you know, see it in the context of astrology and maybe like Uranus and Aquarius is can be kind of attributed to like this ridiculous alien technology things like that because it's like something that is disruptive to our life right now like um disclosure or whatever um and so maybe it falls into that I'm not really sure there's so many questions mm, definitely but it is something I like to think about. Yeah, yeah, me too. Especially as well, the there there are ideas that there might have been a civilization on Mars, and and Mars I know is an important planet within astrology. It, beyond astrology, you know, it's known as being a sort of a quite an aggressive entity. The you know, Mars, the, the god, and always in science fiction, whenever humans colonize Mars, they end up being aggressive, and Earth and Mars end up in a in a conflict. Yeah. Do you watch The Expanse? I haven't seen it, no. You love it, I think, if you like sci-fi anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in that yeah. series, they're at Mars and Earth are at war. I'm, I wonder about that too, whether those two always seem to be at odds with one another. And that makes me think in a, a different way, but it reminds me of astrology, the relationship between these bodies. Yeah. There seems to be some like really deep archetypal things going on that just seems to be like pervasive to the human experience. And it's just like you see this, this sort of thing everywhere. Like the symbols of astrology are like literally everywhere. The days of the week come from Hellenistic astrology, they're all named after the planets. And mm. like, even so, in high school, we read this book, uh, Grendel by John Gardner. At the time, they didn't say it was an astrology book, but reading it now as an astrologer, there's 12 chapters all based on the signs of the zodiac. But, like, mm. I didn't know that in high school, but I see it clear <laughs> as day now. So, like, what else is out there that is completely saturated with all of these things that people like use and recognize in their daily life, but don't really attribute it to astrology? It's very interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think that the kind of the greater influence of, of astrology and definitely archetypes as well. I, I, that keeps cropping up in, in lots in so many of the interviews I've done, sort of the, the concept of archetypes. And, and when you're really trying to drill down to the to like the, a, a great way to understand a lot of the supernatural and paranormal phenomena, it, it kind of comes down to archetypal concepts and forces. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Okay. So I sent, going back to um, charts, uh, I sent you my chart. I created it on astro.com mm -hmm. and I sent it to you and, and you very kindly mm -hmm. had a look at it for me. <laughs> and I, I thought that might be quite a good way to sort of finish up the episode, to look at a particular chart and, and talk about it a little bit, if that's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So... I uh, got my chart here, my computer, um, and one thing I noticed is that 
there's a lot of activity on the sort of the right hand side of the chart. So I can see it now. Um, mm-hmm. My my first two houses, there's there's nothing in those. But then from sort of the third mm-hmm. to the ninth house, it seems to be where there's a lot of activity. And then from ten to twelve again, um, empty. I'm sure this is a, it's a lot. There's a lot in there. So I won't ask you to explain it in in massive detail. But can you just take us through that a little bit and and what that represents within the chart? Yeah, sure. So the planets are kind of like the actors and the houses are like the stages that they're on and the signs are like the mood and the ambiance and like the uh, the goals of the planets and what they want to do. So like the sun in Gemini, for example, mm-hmm. Gemini is mutable air. And if you think about molecules in air, they just disperse. They want to cover as much ground as possible. So Gemini wants to find all of the data all of they want to find the breadth of everything so sun and gemini has a lot to do with like communication because how do we as humans find all of the data is by communicating with other people mm-hmm. and you've got mercury there too and mercury is the ruler of gemini so going back to mercury is all about the intellect and finding like details and bits of data and whatnot and Gemini, mutable air, go find all the data. So that's why Mercury works really well there. So you got the sun and Mercury there. Uh, So it's very interesting that you do a podcast (laughs) because you're talking (laughs) to all sorts of different people. And as you said, um, you have a lot more planets on the right side of the chart. So those houses have a lot to do with relating with other people and society too like self-development and then like bringing that to other people so you've got several things here in virgo also ruled by mercury so the the work part of your life is going to have a very mercurial flair and is answering to that sun gemini and mercury thing so lots and lots of talking Mm -hmm. to people about stuff (laughs) oh cool yeah and and so the the blank side of the chart that I suppose that doesn't mean that there's absolutely nothing going on there just less stuff perhaps yeah an empty 11th house doesn't mean you have no friends so let's see your 11th <laughs> is Aquarius so that's ruled by Saturn so you're just gonna see okay well where's Saturn if he's not there in Aquarius we'll see where he is and for you he's in the sixth house so all of the the friends fans and allies things going on in the 11th house are just going to show up in the work area of the 6th house and the service. Right. It's basically okay. like what the empty houses mean. It just means the the planet in charge, so to speak, of that area of life is going to be doing those things in a different area. Right. Okay. And is it, I mean, I obviously there's different charts for different people, but is it unusual to I mean, I guess it's probably not, but is is it unusual to have this sort of more activity on one side of a chart and not so much on another? No, that's not unusual at all. Like there are, there are lots of people who will have like almost everything all within the same like three houses, like Igor Stravinsky's chart. Everything is clustered in the same little area, and he did like one particular thing, which is compose music. But if you compare that to like Teddy Roosevelt's chart, he's got stuff everywhere. <laughs> he has like something in every house, and he did all sorts of stuff. So it's really interesting to look at different charts and like see how things are dispersed because everyone 
has a very unique life and some people are going to spend most of their life doing one particular thing and other people are going to do all sorts of different things and there's like infinite combinations in between. Hmm. So to turn the episode with, if there's someone out there who's interested in astrology but doesn't really know how best to begin to to learn this system what would your advice be to them where to where to start well this is a really good time to start getting into astrology because there are so many resources and one of the most helpful things is actually the astrology podcast by chris brennan um there's Mm. hundreds of episodes ranging from like an hour to three hours on everything from the signs and aspects to like more advanced techniques it's a gold mine of information that's one of the most helpful things and um the other thing i would recommend if you want to learn astrology is just look at as many charts as you can find you don't have to understand everything that's going on in the chart when you look at it because you can't anyway because we're all infinite beings so you can never see the entirety of any (laughs) chart so don't worry about about any of that just like the more charts you look at the more like little patterns and distributions you'll be able to see like oh does this person have a lot of fire does this person have a pretty even distribution of elements things like that you'll be able to pick up patterns as you go like the more charts you get to look at the the more you will learn there's plenty of books out there chani nicholas's book um you were born for this is really 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 good because you don't know how you don't have to know anything at all about astrology and that book will make sense and it's Mm -hmm. written from the perspective of radical self-acceptance so much more like uh you know increased self-agency and you know seeing how you fit into the context of the universe it's not a like doomy gloomy sort of thing it's very like freeing and exciting to read. It's a really helpful one. Mm. Yeah, and I would you describe it a little bit like learning a language? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like a language and a calendar system. Right. Yeah. One thing. One thing I know from try, trying to learn astrology, anyway, is that you get a you start to learn your your symbols. You, you get a, a bit of a knack for remembering the certain symbols and what they represent and which I which I think is good and helps going forward in terms of if you have a general interest in the in the esoteric symbology is a is a big part of that so it's helpful it's helpful in that regard too oh yeah totally yeah learning a lot about astrology will make a lot more things in magic make sense even tarot like if you use the Frida Harris deck the Thoth or Thoth I can never remember what is the correct pronunciation there are (laughs) glyphs on each of the cards like mars and capricorn and one i can't remember which one is on each card but like when you when you know what those mean it can help you give a whole new layer to your tarot readings too because astrology is everywhere in occultism (laughs) (laughs) so learning one can definitely help your understanding of the other and i think the same can go for astrology and astronomy too Mm, cool. Well, Maidlin, this has been a really enjoyable chat. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me to do this. This was a lot of fun.
If people want to find out more about you and the astrology that you do, how best do they do that? Uh, you can reach me at my website, mmkelly.home.blog. I'm also on Twitter at weird underscore astrology. Um, I tend to get overwhelmed by social media at times, but if you follow <laughs> me and have a question, you can at me and I will respond pretty quickly. I, I like answering questions and being helpful. So if anybody has any sort of question about anything about astrology or what I've said, please hit me up. I will I will help. Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure to put all that info in the show notes. Yay. <laughs> Thank you, Maidlin. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. I think maybe it was a bit ambitious to try and cover something like astrology in one episode. Even the basics of a single branch of the practice is a pretty huge subject. However, I think Maidlin did a really good job of explaining those key concepts and also used some great analogies to explain how they work with each other. There definitely seems to be an as above, so below feel to astrology, and if, like me, you're at the beginning of an active interest in magic or other occult practices, it seems like a safe way to familiarise yourself with understanding how things work at that level. I also second Maidlin's recommendation of the Astrology Podcast, which is definitely worth checking out if you enjoyed this subject matter. They have also given me a great list of other resources for anyone who is interested in expanding their astrological knowledge, which you can find in the show notes. That's all for now. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating it on Apple Podcasts, sharing it on social media, and following the podcast on Twitter if you aren't doing so already. It all really helps the show to grow and find new listeners. You can find some other sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and on most of the well-known podcast platforms. If you'd like to get in touch with me at SphereHQ, please email someothersphere at gmail.com. Until next time, take care of yourselves and thank you very much for listening.